Many, many years ago, Pastor Seth and I were on a softball team together with some of our friends from seminary. We had a lot of fun on that team. We won a few, we lost a few, but there was one game that stands out in my memory. In one inning, we scored 27 runs. There were 10 of us in the batting order, and we got completely through the batting order three times. Somehow, the same person got out three times in that one inning. And that person was a really good ball player. It just so happened that each time at bat, that person got out. The other nine of us scored three times each, 27 runs. It was the inning that just never stopped. I don't share that to imply that we were the best team ever. I think we were right about in the middle of our league that year. And really, there is no such thing as only winning in sports. Anyone who spends a significant amount of time playing any sport has to reckon with losing, falling short, struggling, and pushing through. And our team certainly could have been in that other team's shoes if a few people were sick or out of town or if we just had a bad day. We lost our share of games, and it could have just as easily been us in the field watching the score run up. In most softball leagues, they have a mercy rule. If there's a huge imbalance in the score and one team is behind by a certain number of runs after a certain number of innings, they call the game. We got mercied, is the lament. But sometimes you still have to get through a whole lot of waiting before the mercy rule can take effect. And for some reason, I don't know, we did not have a mercy rule that day. Maybe it was one of the first innings too early in the game for that rule to apply. For whatever reason, the inning just kept going and going and going. 27 runs. Oof. I thought of that game this week because I was reading an article on today's text. The article was written by Matt Skinner, who is a professor of New Testament at Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota. But although he doesn't mention it in his list of credentials, Matt Skinner was also on that softball team all those years ago. I think he was there for that long inning. I know for sure that we played on several different teams with him throughout those years. And I am indebted to his reflections on the gospel text for today. Today's reading takes us back to the day of resurrection. It was evening that first Easter. After all that had happened in the preceding days, the friends of Jesus were overwhelmed. Jesus had died. 
They all knew that. They began to mourn, but they were still in shock. Those first three days might have seemed like they went on forever with the excruciating weight of their sadness. They waited through those first three days, but then they waited some more. On Sunday morning, some of Jesus' followers went to the tomb and found it empty, then came back running to proclaim that Jesus was not there, that an angel had announced he was alive. It was more than a person could take in, news that seemed impossible. So two of Jesus' followers did what anyone might do. They went for a walk. As they walked together that evening, they tried to process it all. A normal response from normal people. <clears throat> These two disciples were close enough to Jesus to have known all the key steps in Jesus' final days. They knew about his life and the work and ministry that he led before he arrived at Jerusalem as well. These two people were close enough to Jesus to have known him well, but have you ever heard of Cleopas before? This is the only place he's referenced in scripture. Some speculate that perhaps this person was the same one referred to as Clopas in the Gospel of John, someone only known because his wife Mary was present at the crucifixion. But either way, this person did not play a central role in the Gospel narratives. And the other person, the companion, is never even named. So these two were not part of that inner group of 12 disciples. They were average people. They are you and me. Common people processing events in a common way. And then when a person walking by on the road joined in their conversation, they kept on doing what anyone in shock might do. They repeated the sequence of events yet again to this new conversation partner. All the details came spilling out, stunned and shocked as they were. Their new travel companion listened as they talked. It's a seven-mile walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus but it takes a long time to walk those seven miles if you are slowed down by the heavy burden of grief. Grief takes time. We had hoped, they said, and Jesus listened. This weekend, we mark Earth Day as people of faith, we celebrate the beauty of God's earth and we commit ourselves to caring for creation. Last Friday, I was talking to someone who was going to participate the following day in a stream cleanup, as many of you do as well, working together with the Lower Raritan Watershed Partnership. On Friday, she was talking about the cleanup days they have done in the past, 
how glad she always is to see how much can be accomplished when people work together. But she also talked about the repetitive nature of the work. We've cleaned this particular spot many times, and surely it will need it again tomorrow, she said. Of course, there are efforts at prevention. How do we avoid this and minimize the problem going forward? But all involved know that the work of cleaning up and protecting the planet is a very long game indeed. It requires repeated efforts and sustained action over a long period of time. One year for Vacation Bible School, we learned about and partnered with a group called Bridge That Gap in Nigeria. Among other things, this group commits time and effort to environmental cleanup. They shared with us their ongoing work at cleaning up the Kaduna River. <clears throat> and we learned about that organization from Tosin, who, through his professional career and in his daily life, is committed to large-scale efforts and daily practices that protect and clean up the environment. <coughs> Excuse me. And so this week, as I thought about the disciples who were still grieving and facing an ongoing challenge on Easter evening, I thought about other long-term struggles in light of Earth Day. How does one keep on going with environmental cleanup efforts when pollutants and trash keep accumulating. So I posed that question to Tosin, and he graciously offered to share with us. Tosin? <coughs> Thank you, Pastor Steph. <clears throat> um, well, when Pastor Steph asked me how I continue to remain um, motivated and committed to the cause of um, cleanup practice. Um, I thought first before responding to the how, it was important for me to start with the why. Um, because when we find out why we're here, our what and how becomes more clear and impactful. And we can work in the purpose of our for the reason for our being on planet Earth. Um, before my, how, my why, I, let me provide a brief um, intro or background to my um, lifetime work. My toddler years were spent with my maternal grandmother in a small house close to a open public dump in Lagos, Nigeria. And so story had it that um, as a toddler, I was always in the habit of going out of the house onto the street to join, to clean up, actually. Um, the municipal would usually um, dump waste in those places to fill up and so that people can build and expand on land. Um, you know, it, it was said that usually I would fight with them when they're dumping those trash 
and and over time I became friendly with them. I understand maybe they bought me over because when they come in, each time they come, they bring candies with them. But I was always found on the dump yard, you know, cleaning up and all that. Um, I became so famous in the community that they had a name for me. They called me Baba Town Council, um, like garbage guy. Uh, I didn't understand what it meant growing up. So, but as soon as I became self-conscious and, and I understood what it meant, I hated that name. And I mean, if you're looking for my trouble in my community, just call me that name and you know, I'm going to get into a fight. You know, because I, at this point, I became self-conscious and I, I didn't like what it um, associated me with. Um, long story short, um, I got to my, in my early adult age, I moved to the different part of Lagos. And I, I noticed that the problem I, I, I was fighting as a toddler had not left us. Now it became more in a bigger dimension because the population of Lagos had grown more. And um, I would often um, assume then that maybe one of the reasons why we're having this is because um, Nigeria is one of the third world nations that, oh, it can only happen here. Um, but about five years ago, I, I, with my family, came to the United States, and I thought I saw the hand of littering and waste in the wrong places. I began seeing them on the streets. I saw them in the parks, in the, in the stream. Um, so the, that anger rose up again in me. I, I began doing it again, go to the stream, to the street to clean up. I, I called it Payback Saturday. And um, yeah, okay. Um, so to talk about the why, why I do this, my why I drawn from the scriptures as a Christian and one is from the book of Genesis 2.15. And that when God created humans, he put them in the garden. And the first assignment he gave to them was to keep and to tend the garden. So you and I are here as custodian of creation. I, I, God thought that out of all that he had created, this one is the most intelligent. So he gave us that duty. Um, I wonder how well we're playing that. Um, so the second Scripture is from Isaiah 64, 61 verse 4. And it says, and I read, And they shall build up the old ways. They shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. The third um, scripture is from Isaiah 58 verse 12. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundation of many generations, and it shall be called the repair of the breach, and the start of the path to walking. And the fourth scripture is actually taken from one of the Jewish um, um, book called Talmud, in the Ethics of Our Fathers. It said, you have, not been given, you have not been obliged to finish the work, but neither are you free to ignore it. And the fifth one reason for me is that I realize that um, from cradle to this point, I have relied on the vital life support system that the earth provides. The water, the air, the food, the use of space, families and friends. And, you know, and the earth now needs my help. I couldn't pretend to know that something is wrong and which I have capacity to do something about. And the sixth one is that each time I walk on the streets, I, I go in the, in the park, I see litters um, on the floor. Some of those litters are buried in the soil. And I also know the science says that some of these plastics 
takes years to biodegrade. They, they, to degrade. They, they are not naturally biodegradable. So that means they remain in the soil for years. And I consider them as tumor, like, like, like tumor in the, in, in the human skin. And the work of every doctor, every oncologist is to get out the tumor from the, soil, from, from the body. So I feel it's one of my way of paying back, of reciprocating, of showing appreciation for all I use, for all that I benefit from the planet, and for all that God has given to me. Uh, those explains my why. Now to the house. Um, how do I find motivation to continue to do this work? Um, well, I've been doing this in Nigeria before we got here, and um, I now I have a family, and I, I guess the um, mistake I made was to get my family involved. And when I mean my family, I mean my kids. And because when the going often gets tough, sometimes when I feel very reluctant to want to get out on Saturday to go clean up, my kids are always there, you know, nudging me, getting me out of the house. It's Saturday, get up, let's go. <laughs> so um, I think I have a support structure that helps me, that helps it make it easy for me. Um, the other one is that um, there's, there's in so many places now, like in Highland Park, there are policies, you know, ordinances that um, facing out single-use plastics. Those are policies in the right direction that we need to reduce the amount of pollution we are creating in the atmosphere, uh, in, the, in the environment, some of which are legacies that generation after will be forced to contend with. Um, the third one is that stories I hear from the uh, front lines, people who are showing up, like yesterday, um, some people gathered at um, uh, West Fargo Bank to call on you know, West Fargo to divest from, from uh, corporations and, um, that had put their investment in um, fossil fuel expansion. Those are some of the right way to go. They, they keep me encouraged. And the other um, stories are stories from Nigeria, from other places who I support in different ways because uh, part of my um, income every month goes into providing trees for communities, also pro support for individuals like me because I was in that situation two years back when I was doing my um, cleanup, but there was no support. There was no funding to get materials to clean up. So uh, people return back with testimonies, with pictures of how, what they are doing. So I feel encouraged that I'm, I'm, I'm be part of the solution. Um, the fourth one is that each time we go clean up, so in some cases we'll clean up as, as a team with my family, and, and in other cases while we are cleaning up, other people will see what you're doing and they will join you. That means that what we need is right leadership and people are willing to support. And, um, and, and, and it, just not only me that sometimes feels depressed when we're doing this, my, my, my kids also feel depressed sometimes. They feel they don't understand. Some, uh, some time ago, uh, we went to a community where we cleaned, then we went again, like a week after to clean. And my son asked me, and that, he said, Dad, I said, yeah, he said, didn't you say we should always clean up our mess? And I said, yes, that's what, that's the right thing to do. He said, then why are we cleaning other people's mess? You know, I, I couldn't answer that. So, and, and the sixth one is that lifestyle change. People are beginning to do the right thing. That means this, I see hope in the future. I see um, people, um, you know, doing the right thing. And, and, and I know that, especially for Christians, we, we, who Christ has called the salt of the earth. That means when there's decay, that's where salt is needed to preserve. We are called at this point in time to stand up for humanity, to stand up for the planet, to show truly that our God is the creator of heaven and earth. And, and I said we are the light of the world. Let our light shine. We have the solution here. The world is waiting for you and I. Please rise up to the cause. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tosin. Amen.
Thinking back to our scripture text for this morning, it was Easter evening, that first Easter, but you may have noticed that in the narrative we don't feel the same air of celebration we might be accustomed to finding on Easter. There was no jubilant trumpet music, no hallelujahs. Matt Skinner writes, Emerging out of the desolation of Holy Week, the confident Easter refrains of joy, triumph, defiance, belonging, and commission usually lead us to assume that resurrection means the end of disappointment. Everyone's supposed to smile and shout, Christ is risen indeed. But Easter faith can be both a resurrection hope and a lamenting restlessness at the same time. What a gift that when Jesus met those friends on the road, he did not immediately tell them who he was. First he invited them to share, and he listened. The text says that Jesus asked, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? And they stood still, looking sad. Then they shared everything that Jesus already knew, but he let them process it and say it aloud. They told of Jesus' life, how he was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. They told of how he was betrayed, handed over, condemned, crucified, and then on the third day his body was gone. Jesus remained silent through all of this, listening to the telling of his own life from the perspective of some of those who loved him. He let them process it, name it, tell it in their own words. Later, Jesus would share his perspective too, but he did not interrupt. He could see the long process that they were in. Sometimes your team is in the field and it seems like the other team is probably going to score 27 runs. They've already scored like five, which is a lot as it is, but there are 22 more runs to go before the inning is over and you're doing your best but it just keeps going and going. Sometimes you devote a Saturday morning to completely cleaning a stream bed, and then after a heavy rain and a lot of trash dumping, you find that the very next week it needs to be cleaned up again. Some challenges are not quickly resolved. Sometimes we find ourselves in the long game. Again, Skinner writes, Lament takes time, and sometimes lament is the journey that leads us to recognition and new life. That new life walks alongside us patiently, whether we know it or not. Thanks be to God.